We are um, in the midst of starting a new sermon series today on spiritual gifts. It's going to be three weeks, so today I'm going to try to lay the groundwork for next week, and then the following week, so three weeks from today, you will, uh, Kathy is going to help you figure out a way, like we're, we've, we've got a system in place that we're going to ask you to go online eventually and take what we call a spiritual gifts inventory, and you'll answer some questions, and then the results will generate to tell you what your top five spiritual gifts are. And every person on the planet is gifted by God to do things for the common good. And so we're going to help you figure out what your gifts are that God has given you so that you can then enact them for the common good. And you may find that the career that you have chosen or the careers that you're thinking of choosing will be something that like play into your spiritual gifts, or you may not. It may be that your careers and the choices that you're making towards the work that you do have nothing to do with your spiritual gifts because some of them you can't make money with. And that's the way of God, is that if we could make money with all of the gifts that God gives us, then we have a tendency to make that about us and instead of about the common good. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are basically four main places in the Bible that talk about this idea of spiritual gifts. And if you're interested, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, talk about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 28 through 30. And then Ephesians 4, 11. Those are places that all talk about spiritual gifts and the ways that they're used. And you'll be confused when you read it just like I am. But hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we'll be able to kind of sort through this and have a better understanding of what spiritual gifts are. But for today, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. This church was having some struggles. It had grown a lot, and then they found themselves in conflict with one another within the church. And... Paul wrote to them this letter, and at certain times you can really hear his frustration in the words that he writes because they're not acting in a way that he feels a church representing Jesus should behave. But this is what he writes in the 12th chapter of this letter that he wrote to them. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. You know that when you were Gentiles, you were often misled by false gods that can't even speak. So I want to make it clear to you that no one says Jesus is cursed when speaking by God's Spirit. And no one can say except by the Holy Spirit. There are different spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit And there are different ministries and the same Lord, and there are different activities, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. That's really important for everything that we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks, that these spiritual gifts, these demonstrations of the Spirit of God in our lives are not for us and not for our glory, but they are for the common good. So if I have a spiritual gift and I'm using it for my glory to gain fame or fortune for myself, that is a misuse of that gift. But if I'm using it to benefit all of you, 
and all of the people who aren't even you as best as I can, then it's being used for its purpose, which is the common good. Verse 8. A word of wisdom is given by the Spirit to one person and a word of knowledge to another according to the same Spirit and faith still to another by the same Spirit. Gifts of healing to another, prophecy to another, performance of miracles to another, the ability to tell spirits apart to another, different kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues to another. All these things are produced by the one and the same Spirit who gives what He wants to each person. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And may God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation, and may God give us wisdom and courage to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. To get into a conversation about spiritual gifts, I think we need to start with having a conversation about the Holy Spirit. So to have a conversation about the Holy Spirit, you have to back all the way up and have a conversation about the Trinity, this idea, this doctrine within Christianity that there is a God who is and was and always will be and was before time and will be after time. And anything that we can conceive, God is bigger than that and we can't fully understand it. And so we have come up with this idea of God being the creator of all things. And we read in the book of Genesis uh, two different accounts of how creation happened. And I don't think the original authors of the book of Genesis were trying to write a scientific document in fact, one of those, one of those uh, writings about how creation happened is actually a poem and obviously was not meant to be taken literally. And the other is somebody's idea of this way I write in that God created and God is to be worshipped. It's not about how creation happened. It's more about why creation happened. So when people ask me if I believe in evolution, sure, why not? Why couldn't God use evolution to create? If the Big Bang Theory is correct, that's fine. Like None of that really matters to me as a theologian. What matters to me is not how creation happened, but why creation happened. So we have this idea of God, and then right away in the book of Genesis, we're told that the Spirit of God is hovering over all that is created. It's the very first place that God is something bigger than can be understood and also spirit at the same time. It happens right away in the book of Genesis. And then throughout the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, we hear of the Spirit of God empowering people. So you may remember Moses was told by God through various means that he should go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go because the Hebrew people were enslaved and Moses had a relationship with Pharaoh where he could get an audience and God said, go to Pharaoh and tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, I don't know how to do that. And God says, don't worry, take your brother Aaron with you and between you and Aaron, I will speak through you to Pharaoh. The Spirit of God empowered them to speak. That happens all throughout the Hebrew Bible, those types of situations. And then Jesus comes along in what we now call the New Testament. And the first encounter that we have with the Spirit 
of God, the some people call it the Holy Ghost, which makes it even more confusing to me. But we have this understanding of the Spirit being like a dove, or I've told you before, the word dove actually translates exactly the same as pigeon. But for whatever reason, we think doves are prettier than pigeons, and so we choose dove instead of pigeon to translate that one Greek word. Jesus decides to be baptized with water. So he goes to his cousin John, and John says, hang on a second, like I've been baptizing all of these crazy sinners, people like you and me, but I'm not going to baptize you. You should be the one baptizing me. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. This is something I need to do. So John baptizes Jesus, and as Jesus is coming up out of the water, Scripture tells us that the Spirit of God descended like a pigeon. I like the idea of a pigeon, because anywhere there are people, there are pigeons. And no matter how hard you try to stop a pigeon from landing on a sign, you can put those little spikes all over it or whatever, they can land really accurately and not hurt themselves. And also, pigeons make a mess of all of our plans. At least that's how I encounter the Holy Spirit sometimes. So the Spirit of God descends. And they hear a voice that says, This is my Son, well pleased. And then, the authors of the New Testament will say things like, Jesus was led by the Spirit to the wilderness. Jesus was led by the Spirit to do this thing or that thing or the other thing. And then at the end of Jesus' life, he says to his disciples, I'm leaving. They're going to kill me. I'm going to raise from the dead. Then I will ascend to heaven, but don't be afraid. You are not alone. I am going to send for you my spirit, who will be with you and will empower you, and you will go to all the nations of the world, spreading the good news of the gospel That God loves you, and God likes you, and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't do enough to cause God to love you more, and you can't do anything to cause God to love you less. And you will be empowered by the Spirit of God to share that message everywhere you go. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, the first book of the Bible that's mostly post-Jesus. And they have this experience. The disciples, Jesus' closest friends, are all hiding together because they're being hunted by the Romans and the Jewish leaders. And they're hiding in what we now call the upper room. There's a portion of one of their mother-in-law's houses or something. They're up there hiding, and the Scripture tells us that the Spirit of God came into the room with the sound of rushing wind, and the only way they knew how to describe what they were seeing is it looked as if tongues of fire were over each other's heads. And they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and Peter, who was completely uneducated, he was just a peasant fisherman, stands up, walks outside, a crowd is gathered because it's this giant festival of Pentecost that's happening. He walks outside and he starts to preach. He is not a highly intelligent person. He's never been trained to put sentences together in a way to convince anybody of anything. 
Nobody told him, Peter, get up and go and preach. But empowered by the Holy Spirit, he goes outside of this place and he starts preaching. And the Bible tells us that there are people in Jerusalem from all over the world. They're there for that particular festival. And they speak all kinds of different languages. And Peter is speaking his own language, Aramaic. And as he's speaking it, they, the crowd, is hearing it as if it were their own language. It would be like if I stand up to preach, and some of you are from France, and some of you are from Spain, and some of you are from Mexico, and some of you are from China, and some of you are from Louisiana. (laughs) And you could all hear me in English. Or... Cajun, or French, or Spanish, or Mandarin. Because they were powered, empowered by the Spirit of God to interpret what Peter was saying. So the Spirit of God is part of this trinity where there's one thing that we call God And this thing represents itself to us in several ways. One of the ways is you see creation all around you and you kind of feel like you've got to drop to your knees. I remember, I think it was like 2009, 2010, a couple of friends of mine from southeastern New Mexico drove to Colorado to visit me and we went fishing at this place called Lake Ptarmigan. And we had to hike up to 12,000 feet to where this lake was. I was told that there were greenback trout in it as long as my arm. I saw them. I didn't catch them. But as we went over the rise and looked down onto this lake, surrounded by 13,000-foot peaks with 14,000-foot peaks in the distance, I could do nothing but be in awe. At the creation of our Creator. I literally got tears in my eyes. I couldn't, I didn't have good words to speak to talk about what I was seeing. And I had my fly rod across my back, and my friend took a picture of me standing there. What you can't see in the picture is that I turned around, and the three of us got together, and we prayed a prayer of thanksgiving for that moment that we were living together. I wish I would have caught a bunch of trout that day. But that moment was worth it. When I was 21 years old, I was on a retreat at Holy Cross Retreat Center here in Las Cruces. Anybody ever been there? uh, Jenny, you and I were just talking about it. It's this Catholic retreat center out just past Messiah Park. And they have a beautiful chapel now, but at the time, they just had a a beautiful large chapel now. At the time, they just had this tiny, small chapel. It's round, and if I remember right, it's red, like the carpet and the furnishings are red. And we were sitting in that room, and I had my back against the wall, and it was me and, I don't know, Mike, how many men are on a walk to Emmaus? 30, me and 30 other guys crammed into this little room, and I had to sit with my knees together and my arms crossed, and I was like crouched down, and I just was uncomfortable. 
And I didn't want to be at that moment. I was like, this is ridiculous. And I'm kind of claustrophobic. Like, I just want to get out of here. And I heard my dad's voice in my head saying, be mentally tough and focus while you're on this thing. And so I, like, tried to get myself back in the moment. And the pastor who was leading this particular moment of meditation and prayer was talking. I don't know what he was saying. I had my eyes closed. And, and uh, I guess the thing ended, and the guys got up and left, but I felt like I needed to stay. And I realized I had room to kind of spread out a little bit, but I didn't. I stayed the way I was. And then in my mind's eye, it didn't really happen. But in my mind's eye, I heard somebody walking toward me. And I could see feet. And then I saw in my mind's eye, remember it didn't really happen, someone hand me a towel. And they turned around and left. And I opened my eyes and everybody was still in the room. God, through what I would call the Holy Spirit, was speaking to me, saying, be a servant. Later, through conversations with Michelle and family members and friends, the Holy Spirit helped us interpret that moment to be, be a servant by serving the church. We have these moments in our lives that are transcendent. We can't explain them. I know a guy who was a long-distance trucker. He was going over Guadalupe Pass between El Paso and Carlsbad and for some reason felt like he needed to pull his truck over, so he pulled his truck over to the side of the road and he heard a voice tell him, get rid of it all, And he opened his truck door and threw all of the cocaine in his truck out the window and watched it blow away in the wind. And he knelt outside of his truck and prayed a prayer that he would be healed. And that guy's a pastor now. We don't all have those weird, crazy moments that are that weird and crazy. But God is always calling to us through the Spirit somehow, pointing us to the magnificence of creation, pointing us to the magnificence of our friendships and our relationships. But the thing that the Spirit of God does that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is give us gifts that are not for us, they're for the common good. Here's a list of the gifts that are put in Scripture through the various passages that I just read or told you about. There's the gift of administration. There's the gift of apostleship. There's the gift of compassion. Exhortation, which basically means encouragement. Faith, generosity, healing. Some people are just healers. Helping, interpretation of tongues, knowledge, leadership, miracles, prophecy, servanthood, shepherding, teaching, tongues, and wisdom. 
So over the next, about some of those gifts, next week I want to talk specifically about a few of the gifts that we get the most misunderstandings about. So next week we're going to talk about prophecy. We're going to talk about tongues. Everybody's like, all right, finally. I've been dying to hear about that. We're going to talk about those two for sure next week. And depending on how long I feel like that's going to take, we may add in a few others. But most likely we're going to be stuck there for a little while. And my hope is that you will start doing some exploration on your own. In my midweek update this week, I'll have a list of those spiritual gifts and the places that you can find them in Scripture so that you can go and read them on your own and start to come up with ideas. And I would ask you to do this between now and like every day from now until three Sundays from now. Pray that God would help you know what your spiritual gifts are so that you could use them for the common good. And that you wouldn't be afraid of any of them. Because, Nick, none of them are scary. Like, if you have the gift of prophecy, that's an amazing thing. And that might be the only one that we should be a little timid about, to be honest. Most prophets get killed. But we're gonna, I would ask you just to pray, like, help me understand what my spiritual gift is and how I can use it. And I promise you this, you will start to have an understanding especially next week as we start talking a little bit about what some of these gifts are, you probably will start recognizing like, oh, that's something that I do without even really trying. Like, I know for a fact that there are at least two people in this room who I feel like have the spiritual gift of exhortation, of encouragement. Because they say things to me without even realizing that they're doing it that encourage me when I'm feeling really down. And oftentimes, somebody will come up to me and say something that I'm like, oh gosh, that's such a bummer. And then, not long later, here comes one of these people that I know for sure have the spiritual gift of encouragement, and they will say something to me that they have no idea what they're saying. That's what I hope we find out over the next few weeks is what is it that we do that we probably haven't been trained for that isn't something that we see as a talent that we have but it's something that God uses to help other people in the name of our creator in the name of our redeemer and in the name of the Holy Spirit our sustainer Amen